With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Today's episode is from the game plan in which coach Terry Shea joined me during the season to discuss different aspects of the game that affect teams in season. In this one, we also transitioned into some things to think about for the offseason. So if you're making a playoff run, there's some great things for you here. We start talking about team travel, playing on different surfaces. We, we think about overtime going for two, and then we get into an analysis of the run game. So. A lot to check out here for you, whether you're still playing this season or not. Enjoy this one on playoff tips and run game analysis. Uh, We are here for our special segment called The Game Plan with our co-host, Coach Terry Shea. Coach Shea, great to be talking with you again. Thank you very much, Keith. I'm looking forward to uh, our discussion today. This is the exciting time of the year for so many of the uh, high school coaches around the country. Absolutely. We have uh, a lot of those teams maybe beginning their playoff run or moving on to uh, the second round of the playoffs. And as we get into the playoffs, as, as we get out of those early rounds, which usually are played either uh, as a home game or a little bit closer to home, teams start having to take longer trips maybe than they're used to. Uh, they might have to play at a neutral site. They might have to play in a, a, a bigger venue than they're used to. Uh, a lot of times some of these neutral sites will be college foot, big college football stadiums, um, which present uh, you know a little bit of a, a different environment than what those high school players are used to. And then we'll get into, uh, for those teams going into, the, into uh, the playoffs or continuing, we'll get into some overtime ideas as well as talking about go for two decisions in the second half of the show, we're gonna we're gonna talk to those coaches uh, who finished their season, and we'll talk about run game analysis. Kind of a, a long list of things to do. We'll run through it today, coach. But uh, let's start with moving on in the playoffs and and taking some of those longer trips. When when you have those uh, situations, coach, and I know you know at the college level, Division three level, we kind of had a rule of thumb that anything over. Uh, two hours we were going to stay overnight the reality of it in in high school is that maybe you have to take that longer trip and play that same day so uh, sometimes they're they extend that far sometimes uh, you know we're still talking maybe an hour which might be longer than a team is used to Uh, but what advice do you have for those those coaches and those teams who are starting to take longer trips uh, as they progress through the playoffs well I'm going to reflect back to my uh first uh, coaching opportunity and that was at the junior college level up in the great northwest and we would always uh, take road trips 
uh, for our games by bus, which I'm sure that's what the high school teams are all about. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I still remember how important this was. And, and that was if, if you were taking a road trip that uh, required you to be on the bus, you know, more than, say, two hours, uh, we, we would always have a, a plan to stop somewhere and allow the players to get off the bus and uh, kind of flex their, you know, their legs for about 15 to 20 minutes. And we also maybe had uh, at that at that stopping point, we may have had a, a box of fruit, you know, bananas, oranges, whatever the coaches may may think of. And we presented that to the players. So they got back on the bus and now they resumed. Uh, maybe maybe you have a trip that's three hours long. We would always try to make the second segment of the trip a little bit shorter than the first segment so you could divide that up in the three-hour trip you'd have a two-hour drive and then you'd stop over get out and exercise for 15-20 minutes and then uh, resume your trip and finish up on a you know an hour's drive so that's one idea and the second one Keith I want to make sure the coaches really appreciate this is whatever your plans are schedule-wise itinerary-wise you want to make sure you always, you know, write it up to being early uh, because that takes into account uh, if you have a distraction or something happens during the course of the trip, you've built into your itinerary about a half an hour to an hour uh, time where you don't feel like you're getting to your destination point late or rushing your athlete. Keith, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll tell the coaches one uh, real quick story that sure. uh, going back to my history. Bill Walsh, when he was coaching at the 49ers, Bill told me this story, and that was they were getting ready to play in their very first Super Bowl opportunity against the, the Bengals. And I think the game was in Detroit, uh, Michigan. And, and so they, they had an early bus, left the hotel. Players got on that, got to the stadium. Then they had the later bus. And Bill Walsh and his, his, uh, some of his players were on the later bus. And they got to about 20 minutes from the stadium. They, they got into this uh, iron-tight road jam, you know, mm-hmm. traffic jam. And uh, they realized that if they sat there in traffic, believe it or not, Super Bowl Sunday, all that business, that they may not even get there in time to, you know, even, you know, probably get there just when pregame warm-up was scheduled. So they, they all jumped out of the bus, and and they ended up kind of jogging to the stadium. And here's the – champion 49ers jogging to a Super Bowl. So you, you have to you have to kind of plan uh, your itineraries accordingly and be prepared for the unexpected. And and uh, that's what I would encourage the coaches to always consider when they put their team on the road. Yeah, Coach, that's something, um, you know, I reflect back on my high school career. And uh, there were times when we took trips. I, I recall one when I was, um, you know, just an assistant on the staff. And uh, we were taking a longer trip and our, our coach – uh, got us out about probably about 45 minutes to, to an hour away, just like you said, breaking that trip up. And what we did uh, during that, that uh, about 20 minutes or so is we did just a real quick walkthrough of things. So the players were up and moving, but we also got them focused a little bit mentally too and, and you know a little bit sharp on there. And obviously, you know, it's a little different today. And I'm thinking back to that time when uh, cell phones weren't even in existence that uh, now these these players actually can do a lot of review, even of film, right on the bus. Um, so I, I think it's an opportunity for coaches to think about what kind of things you might put together for your players. If you don't want them on the phone, I always uh, like the idea of putting together a quick tip sheet. Uh, it's something we did 
uh, at the college level is every coach. Um, someone would do it through uh, as as we got into using Huddle. Some of it would do it through Huddle and, and put together a short presentation for their players. Others would still put it on paper or do both, where it include all the game plan tips uh, for those players to review. We did it both home and away, but obviously before they got on the bus, we'd give that to them and uh, they'd have the opportunity to review that along the way. And, you know, for them, we told them their mental preparation was up to them. I I don't believe it's something you can force. I think uh, you want to encourage it, but at the same time, players do have a routine and and they just have to adjust it for the travel. That's, that's a really good idea. And your thought about the, uh, the cell phone ideas, boy, that's modernized uh, travel tremendously for football teams so yeah yes you're right the uh the one thing i'd I'd encourage the coaches to consider and that is they they coaches tend to think about you know the travel to the game and then they kind of forget about what it takes to get back to their (laughs) home base and and you've got another three-hour trip to to get back to the home base and uh they might consider putting a little touch of class to the travel and and that is maybe the booster club or or the parents can provide a, a box lunch, you know, for the, for the players or those individual pizzas when they get back on the bus to travel home. I think that, uh, that could resonate very positively to the players. And I, you know, they, they tend to think, Hey, if we have to travel again, this isn't too bad, but uh, just remember there's a three hour trip back home as well. Absolutely. And, and that's something, you know, when you look at, uh, how you you know organize that? Uh, someone needs to be put in charge of it. I would certainly consider having the boosters do that or a parent, um, but at the same time have a coach who was is kind of a liaison with that. Um, certainly a good place. We talked about you know putting those younger coaches to work or guys from uh, you know the the younger parts of our program, the freshman team being done. That that would be a, a good thing maybe to put on their shoulders and say, hey, we need you to make sure. Um, as you know, the game's winding down, that that order's placed or that that's ready to go. You know, at that location, um, we get it delivered to the stadium. Get get it delivered to the buses. We used to do that, and you know, at the the college all the time that when the players would you know shower up and put their bags back under the bus. That you know, as they're getting on, they were they were getting that box lunch or like you said, a pizza or something like that. So um, certainly, uh, you want to take into consideration the post game as well. And those guys. You know, definitely are going to be hungry after the game and having to take that long trip home. Amen. <laughs> Players are always hungry. <laughs> exactly. Well, Coach, uh, you know, the other thing that comes up as as we uh, make our our journey through the playoffs here is starting to play in maybe some different types of venues than we're used to. You know, certainly playing on the road always presents a challenge, but now when, you know, you think of, of playing in some of those bigger college stadiums, which starts to happen um, in a lot of states uh, for playoff teams, that begins to be a little bit different feeling for the players as well. It reminds me of uh, of uh, the, the great movie. It's a basketball movie, but the movie Hoosiers um, at the end where that little little small town is, is playing in the state championship game and you know they're they're playing in this big arena and, and the coach takes them all out on the floor and you know does a couple measurements to show them that hey the the field dimensions are still the same nothing's changed there which obviously is important but I think you have those guys maybe who get in awe a little bit of of the environment and and how would you uh, approach that and uh you know kind of settle the players down and in, in, into uh you know, being able to play in that kind of a, a stadium, that kind of a venue. The concept that I've always believed in is to get your players uh, to the location, wherever that may be, 
in terms of the stadium location and get them if if you have a a typical uh during the season schedule of making sure the players are inside the locker room uh two hours before kickoff let's say we've always added another half hour uh, whenever we went on the road and, and we were seeing the stadium for the very first time. And so we would get to the uh, to the site of the game maybe two and a half hours early uh, before kickoff so that the players had a chance to walk around the stadium and walk around the field and really and when there's hardly anyone inside the venue and, and let them get a feel for, you know, the layout and, and that sort of thing. And so we always wanted to arrive – uh, like I mentioned, that half hour to 45 minutes earlier than the prescribed time. And um, I, I will say this, Keith, I always used to, even even when I had the uh, NFL quarterbacks uh, at any level, I always encouraged the quarterbacks to go out onto the field and walk the field. And just and, and most fields now are, are turf fields, but I would still have them walk the field, look around, find the scoreboard, find the – in the college game, find the uh, for, you know the uh, uh, the play clock as, as well as the game clock, and just get a feel as to the end zones. The, the, you know, is there it? You know, if you're playing on a grass field, are the are the five yard lines uh, torn up more so than the middle of the field? Just you know, have a have a feeling for where the hot spots are on a particular game field. If that's true of the quarterback position, I would encourage you know, on a, on a playoff kind of setting to put the whole team out on the field and let them walk around and just get a feel of everything. And that, that 45 minute time can be used very well. Absolutely. And, and you mentioned the fields being turf. Now it's becoming a little bit of a lost art as a, as a play caller. I would, I would go and do that exact thing and walk around the field and take into consideration that, hey, when we're, when we're on this hash in this area of the field, it might not be good to run outside because it's a little slick here, you know, or, or the field's torn up or, you know, those kinds of things actually used to play a big part in, in how you might call plays in different areas of the field. So something coaches don't have to worry about as much today. Exactly. And that can spill over into an overtime situation where, you know, you, you either win the toss or you, elected to, to take the game to one side of the field to the other, one end of the field to the other. And you might have a, a distinct reason why you want to play. Uh, if you're on the road, you might want to play that overtime period at the end of the field, you know, away from the crowd. You know, that that's a possibility. It's it certainly benefits teams to to get a feel for the venue they're playing in. And you've, you've got to assess that very early. Uh, in the evening, you don't have too many other opportunities to understand how important that is, and you want to make the right decisions at the right time. Absolutely, Coach, and I think that's a great transition into our next topic, which is overtime. And obviously, first, knowing which side of the field you want to play on if you had that decision. Um, but obviously, earlier in the week, uh, we've talked about you know practicing this situation before, but obviously, as uh, as you know, you start to see. Uh, high quality opponents there there becomes that chance that things might be tied up at the end of the game and uh you know pr- both planning for and practicing that in advance now uh, becomes critical uh, i think the other thing uh, we need to think about you know and we've talked about planning and practicing that we can revisit that 
but also that plan, obviously, that you set in place and say, here's our things we want to do if we hit an overtime period, which basically, you know, you look at a lot of red zone offense because you're going to start at the 20 in, in, in most uh, high, in most states. What what do you need to do? What do you need to look at to adjust those things as you move down the field? Let's talk about that first and, and the idea of what do you want to put together? What do you want to put into a game plan for those overtime periods? You know, Keith, you, you're playing essentially in the red zone in an overtime situation. But what I would do, and, and as a college coach, uh, we had overtime when I was uh, coaching in college. And as a play caller, I would always script a series for overtime and then there were some some games where I would script two series in case you went into a, a second overtime uh, play playoff. So that that kind of settled me down. I, I knew exactly what the first script was. I you know you may you may have four or five plays you have scripted, and then of course you have to call the other parts of the game in overtime according to down and distance. But that that was important. I always assessed: Do I have a field goal kicker that? Uh, I really believe can drop a dime in there, you know, from the 20 yard line on a kick. Uh, if not, I, I better make, you know, plans to, uh, to know what I'm doing on fourth down, which way do I want to play the, which end of the stadium do I want to play? And do, do they have a very strong field goal kicker? Consequently, uh, maybe I don't have a great kick, field goal kicker. I want to go to the side of the field where the wind's blowing against the kicker, you know? So there's, there's that element as well, but, I always found that scripting was so good because it settled you down. You knew exactly what you wanted to call rather than to all of a sudden say, oh, my goodness, you know, now I've got to come up with uh, play calls for, for an overtime period. And the last thought I'd, I want to leave with the coaches, Keith, is, um, and I still remember uh, my one overtime game at Rutgers. We were playing Pittsburgh, and we, I wanted to take a shot. Uh, I think in the college game, it's a 25-yard line, you know, regulation as compared to high school, where I think it's, as you mentioned, 20. But I always wanted to take a shot for the end zone on the very first down of the series. And uh, sure enough, I threw a corner route, had the quarterback sprint halfway, roll, throw back to a backside corner. And you're, you're making a throw that if your guy doesn't catch it, the ball kind of sails out of bounds. And and now you play for second and 10. But if you hit it, boy, you, you can really uh, disrupt your opponent. And sure enough, we hit it. Pittsburgh couldn't, uh, uh, you know, adapt to that. And we ended up winning the overtime in one one period. So it's not a bad idea to have a, a shot play in your in your script where your quarterback's going to feel like, man, I'm going to I'm going to take a shot for the end zone. Absolutely. And that's that's, again, where your red zone game plan comes into place. Um, and what you might want to think about, because over the over the course of the game, um, you might uh, use up some of those plays that you've had planned. That maybe there's there's the same play dressed up a little bit. Maybe it's uh, you know you know motioning to the formation you want to end up in, and uh, you know putting some of those plays in there. But obviously, I think you you have to have those plays which take a shot because it becomes cut tougher and tougher to to get the ball in the end zone as you get closer, especially if you have to use the passing game. Yes, and uh, you know here here's a uh, here's a, a compass for play calling, and that is in an overtime period, like in the red zone, you want to think players rather than plays. Absolutely, and uh, you want to you want to evaluate. Okay, who are my playmakers? Who who was you know 
who's gifted enough to get the ball in the end zone for us when we really need it. And you, t- you, you, you want to tend to call those plays rather than just a, you know, a, a group of plays that you feel comfortable about. You want to make sure you, you think your, your, your talent, your players over the plays that you call. So boy, that is, that is a real challenge for coaches because they, they tend to forget about that and they tend to forget that their best player is their halfback and, or their tailback and they don't give them the ball, you know, on the first series uh, somehow it, it, the ball goes to somebody else. And you're really, I think you're really overlooking an opportunity to win a playoff game or win an overtime game by getting the ball in the hands of your best players. Absolutely. It's always about uh, players. Uh, I think uh, I told you uh, in the beginning, one of my freshman coaches always used to say, give me, give me players, not plays. And, and obviously we want to get the ball into the hands of our best player uh, when it comes down to crunch time, when it comes down to uh, a decision to win the game. Um, and speaking of those decisions, Coach, uh, we've talked about practicing you know, uh, two-point plays throughout the season and making sure that that's something you're working on. Uh, we never really got into the decision part of that and, and the rule of thumb for decisions. Um, and that might happen at the end of the game. It, it might happen maybe uh, when a team uh, is able to take a lead, uh, you know, maybe middle of the, of the fourth quarter or something like that. And it certainly uh, can happen in overtime. Uh, but as far as uh, a, a dec- making that decision, what do you look at maybe as, as a rule of thumb for when you go for two versus when you kick it? Well, when you want to win the game, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you go for two. Um, you know, there, there's a great uh, team out in California, uh, De La Salle High School, and they had this phenomenal winning streak. I think uh, De La Salle won something like, I, I can't even remember, but it's a national record. But I was there as a college coach recruiting, watching uh, them play, uh, a championship game out in California before the winning streak started. The the coach decided to the De La Salle coach decided to go for two at the end of an overtime period when he could have very easily kicked it and sent it into a second overtime. And sure enough, he said he, his players wanted to end the game right there. Well, they ended up not winning that game. And if they had won that game, they had won about 30 some games in a row to that point. You tack on 31 more games to that phenomenal winning streak that they wrought, they, they, they reeled off, you know, God, they would have had 120 some games in a row. <laughs> so there's a team that decided to go for two, uh, just because the coach felt like the emotion of the, of the game and the, and the players were calling for it. Yet you have to listen to your players and then you have to make a decision that's, you know, void of emotion as a coach. And uh, so that that's the fine line a coach sometimes walks. But I think I think it comes down to let's go back. I think in preparation for the two point conversion, mm-hmm. and that is, and then, again I go back to my uh, history with Bill Walsh, and he he taught me one very valuable lesson, and that was to always practice uh, two different two point plays because you may need a second one, but at least your players understand here's the call we're going to have. And they, they can look forward to it. They have that confidence. They have that, you know, that comfort that, hey, we've practiced this and let's, let's, let's win it here with this particular play. So it's very important that coaches 
put their players through a practice mode when it comes to two-point conversions. And then the the second phase of it is what happens if the, there's a penalty and you're your illegal procedure. Now you're on the seven-yard line or the eight-yard line, and you have to come up with a play from there. So, you know, always have that in your mind, too, in terms of, uh, God, what if we face adversity all of a sudden, and now we're not on the two- or three-yard line, we're on the eight-yard line? Or maybe it's a penalty on the defense, and may now maybe you're on the one-yard line or one-and-a-half-yard line. So you want to have that play call uh, ready to go as well. Uh, in terms of decision-making, you know, they're, they're, I always had a, a point chart, and I know they're out there, you know, where it says, okay, it's time to go for two. It's it's not time to go for two. I think that the general thinking influenced by television more and more in the NFL game is that you don't go for two early in the game. Well, I'm not so sure at the high school level I would buy into that. I, I think if the point spread in the third quarter were uh, – something where I wanted to get it back to a one possession game or I wanted to stay ahead of the ahead of the opponent with a with a making it a two possession game I think I'd I'd go for two points I wouldn't subscribe to that NFL theory that you know you don't want to go too early the NFL game is a totally different game and they have totally different kickers uh Mm -hmm. skill wise and um so I I would I would lean toward the point spread, you know, if you if you're if you're down by five and it's the third quarter, I think I'd go for two to make it a three point game. So that's what I would choose to do, Keith. Coach, what about that that decision in overtime? Um, you know, you're you're battling it out with an opponent. You know, maybe um, they've they've gone in and, and scored on their possession and kicked the extra point. You go in and score and, and two points wins the game, one obviously ties it and sends it to another extra overtime period. Uh, do you have any thoughts on you know, making that decision and, and when is it time to pull the trigger and go for two? Well, I've always subscribed to the idea that if I felt like the other team had more talent uh, than, than your team, uh, if I had a chance to win it in overtime uh, you know, prematurely, I would go for two. And uh, with the idea that if the longer the game goes, their talent level will start to, you know, become the X factor. So that's that's one way to look at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the other the other aspect is uh, I would certainly assess what kind of a place kicker I had, what kind of a long snapper I had. I think that's so important. You know, when you when you choose to tie it up or or choose not to not to go go for one and, and take the two point opportunity. So that's another that's another X factor. And I I think a another factor would be what is the health of my football team? Are we tired? Have we exhausted ourselves? Has our defense played way too many plays up you know, leading up to the overtime? Uh those those things I would take into account as well. And that would prompt me to go for two. Because those are great uh, tips and, and uh, things to consider uh, in making that tough decision. And, and ultimately, uh, you know, you're, you're going to be judged one way or the other. I think as a coach, you need to stand with it and uh, realize, you know, there was a reason why you made it. Um, and, and, you know, if you didn't, you know, don't, uh, don't beat yourself up over it. Um, you know, if you've thought about all those things 
you certainly have have uh, the right to make those calls, and yeah, you get, sometimes you got to live with them. Um, but uh, I would I would uh, tell coaches like you know you you got to stand strong, especially with your team, and uh, taking the accountability for that, but at the same time knowing it was the right thing to do. Boy, that is that is so so important for a coach to. You're right, Keith. For a coach to stand in front of his football team after a big decision like that, and uh, you know, say the right thing. Every coach should give some forethought to that uh, if the, if that situation were to ever come up. Coach, as we move uh, on to talking uh, about some some things for uh, teams who have finished their season, we're going to focus here on. Uh, analyzing the run game for just a few minutes and and pointing out some areas that uh, we can start to look at uh, as we start to break down our offense and look for areas where we might be able to improve or strengthen ourselves for the next season. So, um, you know, I've I've broken it down. Something I did was I would look at six areas and analyzing the run game. And, And the first thing I wanted to look at and believe me, Coach, this became much easier with the advent of some of the, the technologies like Huddle. Use, I remember used to do this on a, a, a pad of paper and then have to crunch the numbers uh, manually, but now it becomes so much easier. Um, but going through and, and, and uh, looking at each of our run calls and our different run concepts or different run plays and determining which ones were efficient for us and defining if run efficiency as as gaining four or more yards per run or if it was a short yarded situation um, picking up the first down and that was something you know depending on where we were at we would look at you know having a goal uh, of of being at 55 percent or better for that run um, to consider that it was effective for us and we would certainly do that throughout the season but as the season ends you know looking at every single run and starting with that, which ones were efficient and which ones weren't. And obviously then from there, you know, there's a lot of things you can do to, to determine um, you know, maybe what needs a little bit more work, maybe what needs to go. Yes. And, you know, Keith, I'd encourage the coaches when the season does bring the final curtain down, the, the coach needs to step away. And, uh, and before he gets into his postseason or out-of-season research and evaluation, just give yourself a week or two before you get into these kind of projects. And that kind of clears your mind. It takes the, uh, the sting of the season out of the emotion of it. And, uh, and then get after your project of, of analyzing your run game and every other aspect of, of your season. But the other thing, Keith, that I'd encourage the coaches to always look at is the game is played situationally. There, you know, the, the game is all about situations. So you want to evaluate what what run call did I make that was very successful at the beginning of each drive during the course of the season? You know, the drive starters, uh, what what run was really hitting that goal of four yards or, or, or better uh, on the first call of each drive? I think that's 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 a tone setter that that sets the tempo for your offense. Oftentimes is what kind of success you have on that very initial play of a drive. And then I also go into the red zone and figure out, okay, what runs were really good for us in the red zone? And um, do I have the same personnel coming back next year that would allow me to think that these same runs will, will also be very positive. So, uh, you know, any situation you could, you, you alluded to the third down and short situation, 
you know, conversion wise, all of those different situations, I think, uh, carry far more value than just assessing an overall run game is to put them into different situations that obviously come up every game throughout the course of the season. Absolutely, Coach. And on the flip side of that, you know, for defensive coaches, I think looking at uh, what the opponent has done with different runs, I think you can discover over the course of the season that maybe there were some runs that you didn't fit uh, quite well, and and that could uh, be attributed as you dig into it deeper to uh, it could be a personnel matter, uh, it could be uh, a scheme uh, or concept matter, um, but obviously the numbers start to tell you something. And I had a, a defensive coordinator always emphasize to me that, that statistics were only a, a starting point for looking at something. But but you have to understand that there's, there's a lot more meaning as you dig deeper. And I think your point is that you have to look into those situations as well. Um, the other thing I think uh, about when we consider – uh, look, analyzing a run game is looking at explosive plays. Uh, you know, the fact of the matter is that it's very hard to drive the ball down the field uh, three or four yards at a time, that you're going to need your runs to explode for you at times as well. And kind of analyzing and looking for, you know, how did we create some of those explosive runs? Uh, you know, it, it, a typical power run, for example, might become better again because of the situation. Uh, it might have been the personnel group. Maybe we added an extra hat into the blocking scheme somehow uh, to get onto a safety that you know was typically coming down and, and springs the run. So again, looking at where do those explosive plays come from and the opportunities that you you create with those, and and on the reverse side of it, um, <clears throat> looking for some of the things that maybe cause those lost yardage or hits behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, maybe some of your plays uh, have some scheme or air problem or assignment problems uh, that that cause those things to happen. And obviously, a, a defensive coordinator would want to look at those things too. What what defense you know from our defenses? What defenses uh, maybe gave up some explosive runs? And I think those again, looking at uh, two more factors there, uh, in addition to the run efficiency, the explosive plays, and the lost yardage plays. Uh, give you an idea of of uh, what's going on with your run game or your run defense. Very well put. Uh, the explosive play idea is so important to uh, to assess as an offense, and uh, you have to be careful. You you walk a fine line sometimes because uh, maybe your ball carrier was a senior, and he happened to have uh, outstanding speed, and sometimes his speed will will simply. Uh, show up by outrunning the the defenders in a high school competition, and uh, that that lends itself to an explosive play. You have to you have to understand that maybe you won't have that same style of runner the the next year, and you've got to make sure that you don't get you know fooled into thinking that well we have these kind of explosive plays and they'll show up again next year. Uh, you want to make sure that that the X factor is do I have the same kind of ball carrier? Um, you know, running the, the, the play that, uh, you know, lend itself to, to 25 yards at, at a chunk. So uh, that's important, too, to assess is what kind of style of, of uh, running game will I have next year based on the talent that I have coming back with my team. So uh, that, that's what we call forward thinking. And 
as a coach and as an offensive scheme, uh, you you want to make sure you're you're very forward thinking in your in your anticipation for the next season. So um, uh, the other thing is is I remember um, my experience at the Kansas City Chiefs when we had one of the all time best red zone kind of run game that we uh, that's the NFL's ever seen and but we had a heck of an offensive line and we also had a heck of a running back by the name of Priest Holmes. And so we were very successful with everything we attempted run-wise inside the red zone. You have to understand that someday you're not going to have Priest Holmes and you have to anticipate, you know, okay, where do we go from here? So um, coaches keep that in mind when you think to the next season in terms of your own personnel. Coach, that for uh, you know, looking at an analysis, those are the three things I'd always start with. You know, the run efficiency, explosive plays, and the lost yardage plays. And then, then it was the opportunity um, really to get into uh, three other areas before I would even get into some of those situational things. Um, and those three other areas we look at would be formation and personnel group, which obviously uh, start to tell you a little bit about the efficiency uh, and maybe future game plans of, of the people you have in the game. Um, the fronts that we're running against, and the idea there is, uh, I think, as you evolve your offense and as your staff begins to start understanding it a little bit better as you run it with your, your players, is that you start to find some answers that maybe are good against certain fronts. And in the last part, looking at stunts and blitzes as well, because I know there's a lot of pressure teams out there who like to do things. And I think, uh, you know, you can find opportunities that maybe certain runs are good against a, a, you know, a certain type of stunt or blitz that a team might employ. So obviously you start with uh, some of the basics and then you start looking at, at other things like that. And I'll include a link. I have an article on this. I'll include it in the show notes, but, uh, uh, as you mentioned before, you know, starting with the big chunks of information and then really starting to understand what those numbers mean and how they break down into different areas is a key for analyzing your run game. Sure, very well, very well put. I think the uh, the you know the component that seems to be showing up more and more in in high school and college footballs is the ability for your quarterback to run. And uh, boy, is that a is that an X factor that uh, coaches have to always consider when they start thinking about putting together a run game or, a, uh, you know, a run scheme for the season is to assess, okay, do I go to the wildcat uh, or do I even need to, you know, because I've got a quarterback who can carry the balls eight times a game and average five yards a carry. So, um, boy, that's, you know, back in the early days of, college football, uh, say the, the 60s and the 70s and the 80s, uh, you didn't have a, a, a quarterback, uh, you know, directed run game. And, and so that's that's exciting to have the ability to say, okay, I've got a young quarterback coming up in the ranks. And, uh, you know, as long as I can keep him healthy, uh, we've got we've got a great runner there at that position and and take advantage of that. Absolutely, and I think when when you start breaking down some of those runs, your quarterback runs, um, you do find those opportunities for s- some explosive plays because you get that extra hat in the run game. Yes, and you know another thing, Keith, that I would look at. I remember uh, very succinctly looking at this, and that is so many times if you throw the ball on first down, you end up second and ten, and you want to have a a, a a very efficient run call that gets you back 
to third and manageable. You know, it being able to manage the situation mm-hmm. gets you back to third and three, maybe, or third and two, or third and four. So you want to have a run that you can call on second and ten, and it, it, it's not necessarily a draw play because, as you know, defensive coaches alert their their side of the ball that look for draws when it's uh, second and ten. And, and so you want to have a run call that will get you back into a workable situation on third down. If not, get you 10 yards, and now you, you, you move the sticks. But, um, boy, that's important to have several key runs in that kind of a situation as well. Yeah, you definitely want to uncover those things in, in this type of analysis. And I think to, to wrap things up on, on my end, uh, from my perspective, Coach, I highly encourage this, uh, this practice of, of going through and breaking down and analyzing your plays, looking for answers, and also looking for um, maybe some holes in, in what you were doing, holes in, in, in your offense, places where you need answers. Because I think that's going to direct you as you head into your offseason because – you know, with, with clinics today and all the stuff you can find online, I think you can get enamored with all kinds of different ideas that work for other people. But you have to remember um, you're looking at how things fit within your system and how can you make your system better. And it might be that you find some things that you can add that fit well, but it also might be that the answers are right there with everything you're doing and you just have to maybe be a little bit more organized or a little bit more detailed in your teaching. And that's what an analysis like this can tell you. Well, that's that's the way you create a, a a chance to have a winning program year after year. And uh, well said, Keith. I I think the the one uh, culprit in in this off season for coaches is to get, as you mentioned, too many new ideas mm-hmm. that takes you away from your uh, your base or your personality. And all of a sudden, now you've got on the right hand column of your list, you've got twenty new ideas to add to. You, to your base or to your foundation. And you have to be very careful not to overdo that and to make sure that the new ideas fit who you are as a coach and, and what you want your football team to be when it comes to the running game. Absolutely. Well, Coach, uh, it was great uh, talking about all those ideas for the teams who are out there and uh, continuing on with the season. Best of luck as you head into the playoffs here and uh, progress through a playoff run. Oh, that's great. I, I wish all the coaches the best, too. And make sure your uh, field goal kicker is, is primed for a, a winning kick so you don't have to go for two. <laughs> Absolutely, Coach. I look forward to talking to you more next week. Okay, thanks, Keith.